So here we are, another sermon. How many sermons do you suppose you listen to in your life if you've been around the church for a long time, right? Another sermon. Here we are again. Um, and, and I, you know, I can understand why we might feel that way sometimes. Um, but the reality is this. That we're not here to hear a sermon. We reach this point in the service, we're not here to hear a sermon. We're here to hear from God. And hopefully the sermon enables that, right? Provides an opportunity for that. Uh, as a pastor, uh, my responsibility to you is uh, to feed the flock of God, lead the flock of God, uh, help to protect. Um, but part of that is, is gathering with you every week and opening up the Word of God and looking, seeing what, what has God said. And, um, and so if we picture a bridge here in the middle, we on this side say, what has God said? And we try to figure that out, make sure we understand it. And then we need to walk across the bridge and say, okay, so what does that mean in my life today? And what we want to do is open our hearts and minds to the Lord. Say, Lord, speak to me. And, and by the way, I want you to know, I try to do the same thing. I, I ask the Lord even to speak to me about me, about him, about us, as I preach. And there are times where all of a sudden something becomes very clear to me. Um, but it always applies to me just as much as it does to you. And I seek to live that out, okay? So we are in this together. Uh, in one sense, yes, I'm here to tell you what God said. But the other sense, I'm here with you to let's hear what God has to say. All right? So we're in this together. So let's, let's go to the Lord again in prayer and ask him that we might hear his voice today. Father, we do come to you, and I thank you for the opportunity for us to all be together like this and to open your word I thank you, Father, for uh, what you do in my life as I prepare and the things that you show me, helping me to see where we're at as your people and how your word applies. And I pray today, Father, that uh, as we look at your word, as I teach it, as I apply it, Lord, that most importantly, you would speak to us as your people, all of us together, but Lord, each of us individually as well. And I pray we would humble ourselves before you right now, surrender to you, and, and determine that we're going to say yes to whatever you would speak to us about. And sometimes those are big things, God, that we don't, we're overwhelmed with and don't know how to do. But we're going to trust you. And we're going to say yes to you and let you then lead us in our lives because of it. So I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we've been in this sermon series titled, We Are His Witnesses, and the reality that we are His Witnesses, whether we do a good job of it or not, whether we act like we are or not, we are His Witnesses. And, and so it comes down to, we have this thought, well, who am I supposed to be witnessing to? And, and so the, the, the Lord led me to, to, to preach today on the story of the Good Samaritan, because that question comes up in there. Not the witnessing, but who, who am I responsible to here? Um, I, just, I read a story about a Sunday school teacher who taught on the Good Samaritan. I think most of you have a basic idea of the story. We'll see it. But 
uh, you know, this man is, is traveling down and he gets, uh, he gets uh, uh, the thieves come and they beat him and rob him and leave him half dead. And so he's, he's wounded and bleeding, lying on the side of the road. And the teacher asks his kids, so, you know, what would you do if you saw someone on the side of the road wounded and bleeding and half dead? And these little kids are like, they're thinking, one little girl, I think I'd throw up. <laughs> right? And so hopefully that won't be our response today, okay? Let's take our Bibles and turn to the Gospel of Luke. Luke chapter 10. And I get that <laughs> response. Luke chapter 10. That is uh, page 1196 in the Bible that's in the chairs there. And if you don't have your own Bible, I'd encourage you to pick it up and, and uh, pick one up under the chairs there and follow along. Page 1196. Start in verse number 25. Luke 10, verse 25. And behold, a certain lawyer stood up and tested him, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life, okay? Now lawyers, we, you know, it isn't quite the same lawyers we're seeing here as uh, in our day. Uh, this had to do with the law of Moses, okay? The Old Testament laws, all of the Old Testament laws. And a lawyer was someone who had really, really studied those things and knew answers. And so if questions came up, what, what do we really believe? What, or how are we supposed to respond? What are we supposed to do? He would be the one who would know the law, okay? And so that's what we're talking about here. And it says that he wants to test Jesus. Now, there are definitely places in the Bible where we see that the religious leaders of Jesus' day were very hostile toward him. They were trying to catch him in things so they could accuse him, and the Bible tells us that. Uh, this particular event, uh, we might read that into that, but I, I don't really see it here. I don't know whether this man was hostile or not. He may have just been, I mean, Jesus was new on the scene to him, and he may just say, so what are you, what are you teaching? He's testing him in the sense of, you know, what are you teaching, and, and, and what are the ramifications of that, and wanting to understand. He could have been hostile, but we don't know from what it says here. But he does ask this question, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He, Jesus, said to him, what is written in the law? What is your reading of it? And so he turns it back to the lawyer and says, well, what do you say? You know, tell me what you're thinking. Verse 27, so he, the, the lawyer, answered and said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And that comes from Deuteronomy, okay? And then, and your neighbor as yourself, and that part comes from Leviticus in the law. Uh, we see this, that Jesus actually gives this same answer uh, to a little bit different question in Matthew chapter 22, where they are being hostile to him and they are trying to catch him in something. They ask Jesus, what's the greatest commandment in the law? Because they, whatever he figured, whatever they said, they could argue with it and twist it and be against him. And Jesus said this, he said, love the Lord your God with all your whole heart, mind, soul, strength, and love. He said, a second is like it, love your neighbor as yourself. And so uh, this is the, basically the same answer that Jesus had given, like I said, to a slightly different question. And he, Jesus, again, said to him, you have answered rightly, do this, and you will live. Now, what I'm hoping 
And, and maybe it doesn't, but I, I'm kind of hoping that you read that with me and you go, hey, wait a minute. That warning bells ought to be going off in your head. Ding, 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 wait a minute. Something's not, this doesn't square with what I know. Anybody, can you see that? You know where we're going with that? Yeah. Because it sounds like this man is saying, what I have to do is I have to live a certain way. I have to do certain things. I have to love the Lord the God in this way and do this and this and this in order to be saved. And I have to also love my neighbor as myself in order to be saved. And man, if I preach anything to you, like every week, I tell you what? What can you do to save yourself? <laughs> Nothing. And, and also in the scripture, this is so clear, in Galatians chapter two, Paul said a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by what? Faith in Jesus Christ, for by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. Nobody will ever be justified by keeping the law, because we can't. But so, what I see happening here is that Jesus is, is running with this guy. He's tracking with it. Here's his answer. And by the way, what I said, when Jesus answered the question, it wasn't about eternal life. Jesus answered the question, what's the greatest commandment? But so here, this man's saying, this is what you gotta do to have eternal life. And Jesus says, okay, yeah, right, go for it. You do that, you live that way. You live it perfectly, you're, you're all set. What's the problem? He can't do it. In fact, he already hasn't done it. And he knows that he hasn't done it, okay? He knows he can't live up to that standard. And we see this in the next um, verse, verse 28 again. He said to him, you have answered rightly, do this and you will live. But he wanting to justify himself. What does that tell us? He knew, didn't he? He knew he had not loved God with his whole heart, soul, mind, and strength. He knew that. And he knew that he had not Loved his neighbor as himself. He knew that. He feels a need to be justified. And by the way, we all need to be justified before God. And so let's just refresh our minds on the gospel. The gospel is that all of us have failed to live up to those standards. None of us have loved God the way that we ought to. Now, we may say we love God, and we may really feel like we love God, but the reality is loving God means that you always do what he says. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And when we love like God, we always act in the best interest of the person we love. And I guarantee you, we have not always acted in God's best interests, according to his plans and purposes. We haven't. We haven't always done his commandments. We haven't. We have not loved God the way he rightfully deserves. And we certainly have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. How many times have you taken care of number one and let everybody else, whatever you want to say? Right, we do that. We shouldn't, hopefully we do better and we grow, but the reality is we've all failed. And so the Bible says this, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. God's perfection, God's standards, we've all fallen short, okay? And because of that, God, you know, God loved us so much that he acted in our best interest and sent his son, Jesus, into the world, live and die for us, dying on the cross, paying the penalty for our sins, rising again from the dead. And the idea is, you know, you can't do anything to earn that relationship. All you can do is say, okay, God, I'm in trouble. 
I've blown it. We're, we're humbling ourselves before God and say, God, I need you. I need what you have provided for me in Jesus. I believe that Jesus is who he, the Bible says he is, and he did what the Bible says he did. And, and by faith, I'm going to trust that he's going to you know, forgive my sins, be my Savior. It's really that first step. We surrender to the Lord because we can't fix this. And so, so that is the gospel. But Jesus is here, like I said, running with this man because he, he knows the truth about this man. And he's going to let this man wrestle with this issue. And so he says, well, love God like you're supposed to, love your neighbor you're supposed to. And Jesus says, yeah, okay, cool, do it. Go ahead, do it. You're all set, do it. Because he knew the man knew he wasn't all set. And so he asked this question. And Jesus, he says, who is my neighbor? Let me just say this. So the Jewish view of neighbors and the religious teachers of Jesus' day um, had helped out with this, helped, in quotations, uh, view of neighbors. And they basically said, well, your neighbor is another Jewish person. Someone who is like you. Right? Someone, you know, and so they had narrowed this whole idea of neighbor down to where, oh, I think I can do that. Okay? And it would be like us saying that uh, love your neighbors yourself, that only applies to other Christians. In fact, not just only other Christians, that really only applies to other people who believe everything the same way you do. Oh, and not just that, really, they ought to be in your church. It only applies, okay, love your neighbors yourself. He's only talking about people in your church that you actually know. You see what we're doing? What are we doing? We keep narrowing, 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 okay? And so this man, when he's asking who his neighbor was, it really his focus was on, well, what's required of me? And he's trying to limit what's required of him. So what's required of me? And so Jesus is going to tell a story now that's going to turn this whole question around. He's not going to answer that question. He's going to ask a different question. So let's read on. Then Jesus answered and said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. Okay, if they, and if he's left there, there's a good chance he may die. Okay, bad deal, bad situation. All right, and so then he continues the story. He says, now by chance, a certain priest came down that road. And so uh, a priest of the, uh, the Jewish temple, one who would have been there making the offerings according to the law, uh, and so we would expect what out of this man? To be a godly man, right? To be one who would love his neighbor as himself. That's what we would think. Now by chance, a certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. He sees up ahead this guy on the side of the road, and so he just goes to the other side, and probably what? Doesn't even look. Not going to look. And why? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. Some would say, well, it's because, uh, you know, as a priest, if he was exposed to what could potentially have been a dead body, he would have been defiled and not be able to do his priest stuff. But the problem with that is that he's, he's going away from Jerusalem. He's leaving Jerusalem, so he's done with that. <laughs> For whatever reason, he just said, not going there. Not going there. Now, that's an unexpected turn, right? That isn't what you would expect. 
Verse 32, likewise a Levite. So we have this, this second person, this Levite, and the Levite was someone who worked in and around the temple. They weren't the priests, they didn't offer the sacrifices, but they did all the, the other work around and taking care of things so that the worship could happen the way it was supposed to happen. So someone who's serving the Lord there. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at the place, came and looked. So the Levite does something more than the priest. He comes and does what? Looks at the guy. And then what do he do? Pass by on the other side. Same thing. So he comes and looks. So neither one of these two that we might expect to have been a godly person and a caring person, one who would love his neighbor as himself, don't. And then Jesus really jumps into the unexpected. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan. Now let's just stop there for a minute. The origin of the Samaritans goes back to about 800 years before the time of Christ. Uh, the nation of Israel got into a civil war. They'd been in a civil war, and the ten northern tribes had their own king, and the, the two southern tribes, Judah and Benjamin, they had their own king. Uh, and the northern ten tribes got involved in idolatry, turned away from the Lord, way before the, the people in the south did. And so God allowed them to be taken captive. The Assyrian army came, terrible people came, brutally uh, conquered them and took away most of the people out of the land. The Assyrians said, we're not going to have a problem with uh, these people living in their land wanting to rebel against us. So they actually sent them away around the world. And they brought from where they conquered other places, they brought those people into the land. And, and then these people in the land, they were having a hard time in the land and they're having, uh, and by the way, I'm sure there were some Jewish people who were left behind as well. But they're having a problem. They, wow, the, this land is, is wild and the animals are wild animals. We have a problem. We need, who, we need to, who's the God of this land? Who's the God of this land? And, and so they found a priest who wasn't really true to the word of God, but they found a priest and brought him in and started teaching them a corrupted version of Judaism. They believed the first five books of the Old Testament, none of the rest, and um, they become known as the Samaritans. So there's a lot of intermarriage between some Jews who were left and Gentiles who didn't even know the Lord, and then they had their own form of Judaism, all right? So the southern, the rest of Israel had no use for them. By the time we get to the time of Christ, uh, Israel is divided into three main areas, there's actually more, but up in the north is Galilee. And this is you know, where a lot of Jesus' ministry occurred. And down in the south, down here is what they call Judah. That's where Jerusalem is. And so all the things that would have taken place you know, in the Jewish religion and their, the temple are down there. And then in between is this place called Samaria. And they worship at a, a Mount Gerizim that's in this area. All right? And, and they, the Jewish people just hate them. They hate them because they claim to be Jewish. And they have no use for them. In fact, it was so much so, and I'm trying to vision the map the way you're looking at it. Let me think here. Yes, okay. So if a Jewish person from Galilee wanted to go to Jerusalem, the natural way would be just to go straight down the center of Israel, right? But they wouldn't do that. They would come and they would cross, before they went to Samaria, they would cross over the Jordan River outside of Samaria, go down actually through Gentile lands, and come down and then cross back over the Jordan River into Judah. They didn't even want to walk through their towns. 
Same way the other way, okay? Uh, we see the surprise when Jesus says, I gotta go through Samaria, and he talks to the woman at the well. We, we see later on Jesus' own disciples in Samaria, and the city doesn't wanna receive Jesus. And they say, can we call down fire from heaven on them? And Jesus says, you don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but they had the problems with Samaritans. And so here, what has happened is Jesus has brought up one of those people. Okay, bad enough, the priest, yeah. No, not the priest, the Levite, no, not the Levite, the Samaritan. Really? You're gonna go there? Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, okay, so the Samaritan comes and he came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion, so he went to him, and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And he set him on his own animal, brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the next day, when he departed, he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper and said to him, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, when I come again, I will repay you. Now, did this guy go over and beyond? What we would think, right, not only did he see, he had compassion, he cared, where did the bandages come from? I don't know this guy was carrying around bandages. He probably had to take some of his own clothing maybe and that he was carrying and turn it into bandages. His own wine, he used the wine probably as an antiseptic and the oil is sort of a healing lotion. And where'd that come from? That was what? His, for, I don't know if he was gonna sell it or if he was, it was his to, uh, to uh, eat, drink, whatever. Then, um, he takes him to a place and he stays up, I don't know if he's awake all night, but he's overnight with this guy, making sure he's okay, and then he's leaving and he, he makes arrangements with the innkeeper, here's money, take care of him, I'll be back, and if you have to spend more, don't worry, I'll cover you on that. Wow. Let's look and see what Jesus says now. Remember, this lawyers want to know what's required of me. Who's my neighbor? What's required of me? What am I required? Verse 36, Jesus says, So which of these three do you think was neighbor to him who fell among the thieves? Is that the question the lawyer asked? No, the lawyer asked the question, who is my neighbor then? Because he was concerned about what's required of me. Jesus turns the question around and says, who was a good neighbor? Who was a good neighbor to this one who had great needs? And so he's turned the, the focus of the question instead of what is required to me to what does this person need? This person who is in front of me, what does this person need? And he illustrates that, that that's where we need to be living. What does this person need? Not, not what do I have to do? What's required of me here? No, 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 what does this person need? And that determines what I do. It's not a focus on self, it's a focus on the other person. And so Jesus turns this whole thing around, turns the question around to, to be who am I neighbor to? And gag, he used a Samaritan to illustrate it. One of those people. 
You know, when we think about the Samaritan and, and what, how that might have affected this Jewish audience here, I would say this to you. That let's say you're here today, and, and they say your politics is liberal. You have a liberal perspective on politics, and then you listen to the things that conservatives say and do, and you go, what? Those people. If you're conservative, and you look at what the liberals say and do, you go, people with different morals, different lifestyles, right? And so this is the kind of situation that, that Jesus now uses this Samaritan to say, the Samaritan was a good neighbor. Stop worrying here, Mr. Lawyer, about who your neighbor is. What does the person in front of you need? That's how you love your neighbor as yourself. That's how you do that. You focus on the need of this other person. And this is how we are to live our lives as Christians. That ought to be known about us. You know, everybody in your life, now if you haven't been around someone for a while, they may not know this, but if you've been around people for any length of time, they ought to know if, and not that they will do it, but if I have a problem, I know I could go to him. I know I could go to her. Why? Because we live like a good neighbor. So we've been talking about the fact that we are his witnesses. And so let's cross this bridge. Okay? Let's cross the bridge to what this means when we are his witnesses. How might this lesson apply to us as Christians? And I think it does. Is the, is the world around us needy? Let, let's think about this. Let's, let's read this again. Let's go back. Verse 30, then Jesus answered, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves who stripped him of his clothing, wounded him, and departed, leaving him half dead. I want you to know that those who do not know the Lord Jesus Christ, Satan and his lies have done a number on them. And it doesn't matter how good they look outside or how happy they even feel in life. The, the lies that they are believing have stripped them of their dignity. Uh, it, listen, if you are just an accident of the universe and no different than any other animal, you have been stripped of your dignity. Just like he was stripped of his clothes. They wounded him. Man, people have been hurt. Think about the people, and, and some of you have experienced this, when, when yet things haven't gone the way God wants it to in your life, and they're hurt. Their relationships are hurt. Their damages, and it just goes on and on and on. And leaving them half dead. And, and I would say to you that all those unsafe people walking around you, they are alive, but they are also what? Dead. They're half dead. So we see these people. So how does this apply to us? So here's the, the, the priest, right? A certain priest came down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by. On the other side, didn't even make contact. This is the person uh, who says, I don't want anything to do with non-Christians. I got to deal with them, that's fine, but I don't want anything to do with them when I got a choice. Have you ever noticed that non-Christians oftentimes believe things that are very repulsive? Have you noticed that? Do you, have you noticed that sometimes the things that they do, you're like, I don't want anything to do with that. Right? They, because guess what? They're not Christians. 
And so they live like that, Christian. And so there are times when, if we aren't careful, we'll just say, no, I'm, just, I'm not even going to look. I'm not going there. I don't want anything to do with that. Okay? And then there's the Levite. Likewise, a Levite, when he arrived at that place, came and looked and passed by on the other side. So he comes and looks. And I think for us as Christians, the idea is we look sometimes, okay? So we think, we do notice these unsafe people. We think we ought to do something, but we look at them and say, you know what? They're too far gone. What's the point? Or, or they would never be interested in this. And, and Melanie brought this up last week in our worship. So true. We look at someone and say, oh, they would never receive Christ. They, you know, they wouldn't be interested. They wouldn't want to live. Who are we to say that? Does God save sinners? Sinners? Really bad sinners? Really happy sinners? <laughs> he saves them. And, and so, you know, who are we to, to do that? And, and we devalue. Well, it, eh, it doesn't matter. I'm not, I'm not, not going to do that. And really, it, maybe it's a lack of faith on our part that God could actually work here with this person who I can't see how would ever get saved. And so we don't witness. We, we turn and walk away. But let's look at what the Samaritan did and think about it in our situation. Verse 33, but a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, so as we go through life, came where he was. Now, I'm not saying he did this on purpose, but let's just say it for our own thought here. The Samaritan met the man where he was. Now, I got news for you. You can't meet anybody anyplace else. But sometimes we don't want to do that. We don't want to meet them where they are. They're a mess. This is ugly. This is a problem. I don't want to do that. But let me say before I go on. So here we are in this story. Okay. Uh, you know, just I don't want anything to do with Christian or non-Christians. And yeah, this person wouldn't be interested anyway. And now we turn to the Samaritan who was one of those people. Have you ever thought, as a Christian, when you think about how some Christians witness, do you ever think, I don't want to be one of those people? Are you with me on that? Right? We've known some people like that who are, who are harsh and mean and rude and, 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 you know, don't really seem to care about the person in front of them, but they, you know, tell them the gospel. And, and we say, I don't want to be one of those people. But you, you know what we do? The problem is, is our, we think the solution is that I'm not going to witness. And if you let being one of those people, that fear of that, you know, I don't want my reputation to be that. I don't want people to think that. And you let that keep you from witnessing. How can you say you love your neighbor as yourself? How can you say I love God? So I want to say to you today, be one of those people. Not the rude one, please. Not the harsh one. Not the one who doesn't care, but be one of those people who is willing to, if necessary, be viewed that way. Are you willing to do that? You know, that's one of the reasons we don't witness, because we worry about what people will think of us. And we've got to stop worrying about what people will think of us and genuinely love them and genuinely care for them. All right, so... He journeyed, he came where he was, he met him where he was, and when he saw him, he got to know, we, we need to get to know people. He saw him, he came and did what? 
He looked and saw his condition. Get to know unsaved people. That, that means you're going to have to spend some time with them, doesn't it? Get to know them. Ask them questions. Listen. And then it says, so um, he saw him and he had compassion. Care about their pain. Care about the pain of the unsaved people around you. Whether this shows up at the beginning or not, you know, they may have it well covered, but there is pain there. Genuinely care about it. Once again, the people around you ought to know that if they were to tell you what was going on in their lives, that they know you would care. You would care. All right, so let's continue. So he, he saw, he had compassion, so he went to him. He went to him um, and then bandages wounds. And so here's the thought. Love them in a way that shows. They have hurts, they have wounds. This, he bandages, right? He brings disinfectant, he brings the oil. The, and so we need to speak into these people's lives when they do have hurts and they do have burdens and they, maybe they share them with us or maybe it just becomes evident and you and I talk to them, do you know that there are people around you who have struggled their whole life to feel that they were of value? Because everything that they've been taught in the world teaches them that they're not. And then you sense this and you make it a point to treat them and to talk to them as though they are valuable people. And by the way, you know who this is gonna be, don't you? This is gonna be the person at work that nobody wants to talk to. No, don't, you know, I don't wanna go down that road. That's gonna be that person. But you are the Christian. You're the one who needs to talk to them and show that you love them, that you are valuable. You matter to me, okay? And I know, oh no, now they'll become clingy and they'll be, the, yeah, stop making excuses, okay? And I say that to me, not just to you. All right. So, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal. Um, and then we see that he spends his own money, right? He uses his own goods. What I want to say is invest in these people. Invest in them. It can be time, might be money, might be, hey, let's go get a cup of coffee. I'll buy. Invest in them. Make sure that all of your goods and possessions are available for God to use to reach these people. Are they? My car is available, my house is available, the money in my pocket's available. If I have something else that I can use here to help, I will. Okay. So then he, he brought him to, well, let me just, yeah, he brought him to an inn and took care of him, so he spends the night with him. So I don't know, I mean, the, um, we don't know whether the Samaritan, what his plans were, but did he, you think he's a good chance he changed his plans a little bit to do this? Yeah. Plan your life around these people. Oh, now we've really crossed the line, haven't we? <laughs> But the idea is we ought to be looking at our lives and saying, okay, here's what I'm doing with my life. Here's what I'm doing with my time. When am I open to investing in these unsaved people that I know? When, when am I able to go do something with them that might be fun or invite them over to the house or just whatever? I don't know, right? But I, 
I need to plan for that, plan my life around it. And if you're too busy to do that, you're too busy. And I understand sometimes we hit seasons of life, but again, let's don't use these things as excuses, right? Okay. And I would say to you, share the gospel with these people. You gotta share the gospel with them. You understand that if you are the nicest person they have ever met, and you never tell them about Jesus, when they die, they'll go to hell. And so you gotta figure out, how do I share the gospel, you know? It, it might be if nothing else in this conversation, you can say, hey, read this, you know? I mean, this is the thing that I'd written before, available to you, but read this, because it's really important. The message changed my life. Uh, it can be that you actually talk. I, and, and like I said, we have classes coming up gonna help you with that kind of thing. So, um, he, he uh, shares the gospel. And then what's he do? He, he says he needs to move on here. He has to go. But he connects him with somebody else who can help him. Let me suggest to you, uh, invite these people to church. Okay? You're trying to be a witness to them. That's great. And man, that needs to happen. But take advantage of the church. Because you know, if you connect them with the church, there's other ways that they can learn. There's other relationships that they can have. So invite them to church. Invite them to trunk or treat. They have kids, they have grandkids. Invite them to trunk or treat. Uh, invite them to um, uh, come to our best giveaway ever Sunday. Invite them to come to that. Maybe, depending on how you know them, invite them to come to our Thanksgiving uh, candlelight testimony service. Come, taste, and see that the Lord is good, right? Uh, you can invite them to any church service, really. You know, the Christmas program. But take advantage of these opportunities and, and get them here. Surveys regularly show that people who have no church relationship no, say that they would probably go to church with someone who invited them, a friend who invited them. I'm talking about 80% range. Now, whether you have those same 80%, I don't know. But you understand what I'm saying? that we're back to the Levite looking and say, ah, they wouldn't be interested. You know, is this, you think, do you know that if, if people are in your life that God is at work in their life? We know that because you're in their life. So don't sell God short. All right. So he departed again. He took the denarii. He made those arrangements with them. And so I guess let's just kind of summarize this whole thing. Make reaching people for Christ a non-optional part of your life. Make it a non-optional part of your life. Non-optional means what? Non-optional. Got to do it. This has to be a part of my life. You know, we spent three weeks talking about our mission. We got to make disciples. We are to be disciples who are making disciples. And you can't make a disciple if they don't know the Lord. So we start with that, trying to reach them, right? And so as we live this out, you know, we surrender the Lord, we grow to be like the Lord, and we've, as much as surrendering and growing is what? Telling. Every bit as much. And so say, this somehow has to be a non-optional part of my life. And I'm, you know, you and your, your spouse sit and talk and say, how do we do this? Man, I don't know. So let's do this. I tell you what, let's do this. Let's stop right now and ask God. And this might be the first time you and your spouse have actually prayed together or prayed together. But let's ask God, God, would you show us how? 
I'm getting all excited thinking all the good things that could come out of this. Really? And so the question gets turned around on us. It can't be about, well, who, who am I supposed to do? No, no, no. Here's the questions we want to ask. Who needs to experience Jesus' compassion through me? Who needs to hear the gospel from me? Who am I neighbor to? And focus on the need of that one that's in front of you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you that people were faithful to bring the gospel to us, maybe to invite us to church, maybe to hand us a tract, maybe to talk to us very pointedly about it, whatever, Lord, or a combination. Thank you. I pray, Lord, we would be faithful to do the same, that we would think, what's it mean for me to be a good neighbor when it comes to the gospel? Oh, Lord, use us to reach many for you. Help us. Nice, don't just help us. Slap us upside the head and remind us that we can't be making excuses as to why we're not doing it. And we really don't want to be one of those people when we think about people who do this wrong, Lord. But we do want to be one of those people when we think of the Samaritan. So please do your work in us. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it's appropriate as we finish, this is our last sermon in this series, it's appropriate that we take the Lord's Supper together and remember what it is that God actually did for us, what it is he done for us, and uh, examine ourselves and, and see where we're at with that. So uh, if you're a guest here today, as we partake of the Lord's Supper, it's your call whether you participate or not. That's, that's between you and the Lord. Uh, feel free not to, okay? Um, nobody's pressured to do that. The Bible does talk about the Lord's Supper and says that, yeah, it's just a symbol. It is a symbol, only a symbol. But it's a symbol of things that really, really matter. And that we ought not to take it lightly. We ought not to partake of the Lord's Supper knowing that we have ongoing sin in our lives, that we're rationalizing and justifying and allowing that. Ought not do that. It says that God will chastise us when we do those kinds of things. So what we want to do here is take a minute or so and just quietly before the Lord, if, if you've got anything in your life, like say, oh God, here I am. I, I, it's not right. I need, to ch- I, you know, I need your forgiveness. Um, so let's take about a minute. Just make sure that you're in a right relationship with the Lord and then we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together.